The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to find out the stories behind the stories. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. Get ready for some amazing guests, along with Nick's own expertise and insight behind some of today's top news in sports, the where, why, and how. Now, here's your host, Nick Ferguson. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective here on Voice America Sports. It's 2015 and we've been gone for a while, but we are back. If you have made a couple of New Year's resolutions, we'll tell you why they never work and how to make sure that those New Year's resolutions come true. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and he's my Robin to my Batman Mile High Mario, you can find him at Mile High Mario. Mario Vitanzi, thank you, as always. So, Mario, it's been a while since we've been back. Uh, tell me a little bit about your holidays uh, before we get started here. You know what? I'm actually going to have to change my name because it's not going to be Mile High Mario anymore. Uh, I'm actually, Nick, moving out to Missouri, if you can believe that, because I'm going to be attending school to be a chiropractor. So hopefully the classes coincide so we can still bring the fire every Thursday and you know maybe figure something out if the uh, schedules don't work. But that's pretty much how my last couple weeks have been. We moved all our stuff out right after... Christmas and you know I'm back out here in Denver for the playoff game for the next week or so uh, and then it's nose to the grindstone time I got to make sure that when I'm done Nick that you have somebody to keep you in great shape I can't have you falling apart well Mario that's the last thing you have to worry about is Nick Ferguson falling apart now you mentioned the fact that you're going to be moving to Missouri does that now mean that you're going to become an SEC guy like a fan of the program, former Bronco Byron Chamberlain? You know, I don't think there's anything that could happen to make me become an SEC guy, Nick. You know, I'm with you all the way. SEC is fine. I'm not saying that SEC is bad for college football. In In a sense, the SEC is great for college football. And this year, I mean, I think this is going to be the start of something truly beautiful, a national championship with no SEC teams. So maybe, unbeknownst to them, the college football uh, committee fixed having the SEC dominate by implementing this uh, playoff system because no SEC teams ever since the USC-Texas game in 2006. And if you remember, Nick, that was arguably one of the greatest national championships of all time. No SEC teams in it, just the way God intended. 
Well, we're going to talk a little bit SEC football, and later on in the program, we're going to tell you what NFL top quarterback could be on upset alert. But piggybacking off of what you just said about no SEC team being in the college playoffs, I, I thought that it was a great – and let me back up for a second. At first, I didn't know exactly how this whole thing was going to work with the college football playoffs, but I knew that something needed to change. We needed to get rid of the old BCS. But Twitter was ablaze after Ohio State upset over Alabama, and I say, yes, it was an upset. But here's well, of the question. It was. Now, here's the question, though. Ohio State in Oregon. Now, I don't know about for you, but for me, when I watched that game against uh, Alabama, uh, Cordell John, uh, Johnson, I believe his name, Cordell uh, Jones, Cordell Jones. Jones, excuse me. When I look at that game, yes, he's 6'4", uh, 250 pounds, but his inexperience actually showed during that game. I mean, there were several times where he was trying to move around in the pocket. He was trying to do entirely too much, could have cost him the game. But luckily, Blake Sims on the opposite side of the ball turned the ball over twice in scoring position to help Ohio State. So when you look at this game between Ohio State and Oregon, who do you feel has the best chance to hoist up that crystal ball trophy that is so coveted by so many coaches and college players? Well, here's the thing, Nick. I'm going to say Oregon straight off just to answer the question, but it's not going to be as easy a game as a lot of people are giving uh, are making it out to be, and it's because of Urban Meyer. It's not that Ohio State has, you know, some phenomenal players, phenomenal play calling. It's not like they're doing anything really special. But, I mean, Urban Meyer has just resurrected that program, and I think people kind of forgot what Urban Meyer accomplished at Florida because he's out of the game for a while, uh, you know, didn't leave necessarily on great terms from Florida. And I think people just kind of swept him under the rug. I mean, it's Urban Meyer. Okay, he's one of the best coaches in college football right now. And, you know, if he wins this game, he's going to get into that breath of maybe top five of all time, Nick. But the thing with the Oregon Ducks is they can beat you from so many different places. I mean, I'm pretty sure their leading receiver had the, uh, the touchdown leader on their team had like seven touchdown catches. And they spread the ball out. So that means if someone goes down on this Oregon team, then it's the next guy up. And that's what happens, and that's what you get out of Marcus Mariota. That's how this Oregon team, Nick, is different than Oregon teams in the past. They're not relying on one guy, you know, a, uh, a LaMichael James that they have to fall back on and hand him the ball, and if LaMichael James doesn't play well, then they're kind of SOL, as it were. But Marcus Mariota brings to Oregon something that no other quarterback has. He can throw the ball, plus he can run the ball. And that's something they've always had a quarterback that can run the ball just fine. But as far as throwing it, unless someone was wide open, they're probably not going to get it done. Mariota is that special breed. And I love this kid's attitude towards the game. And that's the big advantage I think he has over Jones. Jones has kind of been playing with house money. He's not even supposed to be playing right now, Nick. So it's like if he loses, that's kind of expected. And that goes back to the Michigan State game that they played. They just blew the doors off of them. And Jones is playing a little bit over his head. He's a very good quarterback, but I don't think that the gravity of the situation has quite hit him just yet. But it will before the national championship game. And that is something you don't need to worry about with Marcus Mariota. So give me the Oregon Ducks. I think it's going to be close early, Nick. But then the Ducks are going to pull away. They did with Florida State. Well, you know what? Here's something that's interesting. I think we always, when we look at games, we always look at the matchups. And I, I like the matchup Mark Helfrich 
Scott Frost versus Urban Myers. These two offenses are mirror images of one another. They love to set the tempo. They love to get on the perimeter of the defense. They, it's kind of an inside-outside game. They run both run the read option. So it's going to be great to see this game at full speed because both teams offensively can get after you, especially when you look at the fact of Ezekiel Elliott, the, the, the star running back for the Ohio State. But the biggest thing, I think, for uh, Ohio State is they have – explosive wide receivers that can take the top off the defense. You're talking about Devin Smith and Evan Spencer. These two guys, sensational guys, when the ball is downfield, they can adjust well, body control. You're talking about the overall catch radius. These two guys that I dare say are NFL type of wide receivers, and I think they're definitely going to help stretch that Oregon defense, that defense that's given up massive amount of points. And I have to say also now, even in the Alabama loss, that Ohio State defense, they gave up a lot of points uh, as well. So it's going to be – I'm really eager to see how this thing uh, shapes up as far as Oregon and Ohio State. How many points could we possibly see in this game? I don't know. It could be another record-setting uh, championship game. And, and we'll, we'll talk about Marcus Mariota later on and his uh, NFL it's, aspirations. It's, it's going to be a shootout, absolutely. You think it's going to be a shootout? I mean, Oregon's uh, Oregon's missing their number one corner, and geez, I can't even pronounce his name right now, Nick. I put myself on the spot. Uh, Ikpe Ulaway, I think it is. And mm-hmm. but they didn't have him for Florida State either. And you know, Florida State people want to clown on Jameis Winston. It really wasn't Jameis's fault, and it is kind of a shame, uh, if not in a nutshell, how his career ended you know sort of like the lasting image that people are going to have with that backwards fumble and he kind of falls over and you know the the rest is history but that game I think for all intents and purposes it's hard to say Nate because it was 59 to 20 I think it was closer than the score would indicate you know some really bad things happened to Florida State and Oregon is that good to put up 59 but I don't think their defense is going to be good enough to hold Ohio State to a total like 20. And I mean, both of these teams we saw Alabama put up a decent amount of points against Ohio State and Oregon's going to put be able to put up even more against this Ohio State defense. So I think it's going to be a shootout. I'm thinking, you know, over under might be in the 90s somewhere, Nick, if not the high 80s. That, that, that's a lot of points that, that's being scored. That, that, that seems like the game plan for both defensive coordinators is just like, hey, we're just going to let them score. This will be let- the 2006 Rose Bowl 2.0. Hmm, that, very interesting. I mean, I, I think, you know, collectively, when you look at uh, both of these teams statistically and from a personnel standpoint, they have the ability to score overall combined maybe 100 points, maybe 120 points. But, but we're talking about maybe the fastest college football game that we have ever seen. Point totals, uh, time of possession. It's going to be a great game. It, it's going to be, be a lot game. of fun it's to great. watch. But you know what? Let me back up. Let me go back to the Florida State game for a second. You know, so much has been said in criticism of Jameis Winston. So much has been said in criticism of the ACC and the fact that uh, you know undefeated Florida State team shouldn't have been there. They were not really undefeated. They should have lost a couple of games during the regular season, but we could have said that about so many teams. But I still think that he's not, again, he's not receiving his just due. Neither is the ACC, because when I listen to that broadcast against Oregon and Florida State, and normally I, I don't like to call out you know, commentators, but it seemed a little bit, of, little bit one-sided in favor of Oregon and talking about Florida State. 
When they went into halftime, the score was 18 to 15. Florida State, moving the ball inside the red zone twice, failed to capitalize and kick field goals, and then they came out, and then a debacle, and they fell apart. Four turnovers. If they don't turn the ball over four times, now we're talking about a Florida State team playing Ohio State. But the only reason I wanted to do that for all those naysayers that continue to say that quality football is not being played in the ACC, think again, look twice, because this conference is on the rise. So, but Mario, I'm going to move into a little bit of NBA action. Last night in Los Angeles, the Lakers once again faced their down-the-hall rivals, the L.A. Clippers. And before the game, head coach Byron Scott was uh, real jovial, and he was talking about Swaggy P making kind of uh, imitations of Swaggy P to the media. But it turned sour at the end of the game as the Clippers beat them yet again. And Byron Scott's comments were, we're soft. We're soft like Scott Tissue, you know? <laughs> and even, even Kobe Bryant stepped in and echoed the same sentiments. They are soft, like Kleenex soft. So, so what, I, what I ask you once again, and we talk about it all the time on the show, the East versus the West, and we'll get into the Cavaliers in just a second here. When you look at this Los Angeles Lakers team, can they rebound from this? I mean, it's hard to say, Nick. It depends on who you get up there. I mean, Buss came out and said that if they aren't in the Western Conference Finals in the next three years, that he's going to step down. It's like, are you really going to wait that long, man? What decision that you've made has been beneficial to this team? And just to put that game last night into perspective, Nick, the Clippers were up on the Lakers by almost 40 after three quarters, and they took their foot off the gas. So the only reason that the game was as close as it was is because the Clippers, you know, didn't really show up for the fourth quarter because they didn't have to because the game was already over. I think it's embarrassing if you're a Lakers quote-unquote fan. I mean, because the fandom out in L.A. we have talked about on this show. I don't think, you know, any really true Los Angeles fans exist because all the fans that used to be on the Lakers side, Nick, are now rocking <laughs> Red and blue Clippers gear because that's the team in LA that everyone's talking about. The Clippers are 24 and 12, 16 and 5 at home, and the Lakers are 11 and 25. Five wins at home. So, who do you think the fans want to see? You, 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 do you really think, Nick, that the fans want to go out there and watch Jeremy Lin and and I'm not even going to refer to him as his nickname because you can't give yourself a nickname. You think these people want to watch Nick Young? You think these people want to watch a 56-year-old Kobe Bryant? Give me a break. There's nothing about this Lakers team that is enjoyable. There is a lot about this Clippers team that is enjoyable. So that's now why all of these people in the soulless town of L.A. are referring to themselves as Clipper fans as if they've always followed the team. So can they turn it around? Yeah, I mean, in due time, everybody's going to get to that point. They're not going to be like the Nuggets where they're kind of in limbo. They're not good enough to compete, but they're not bad enough to get a top pick. The Lakers are seeming like they're going to be bad enough this year, Nick, to possibly get a top five pick. Then you take into consideration getting Randall back next year. They could conceivably 
turn it around quicker than some of these other teams. Plus, you know, you have the Los Angeles market. So when you're going out there looking for free agents, you can kind of ignore the record. You know, you finish 30 games below 500. They're not going to really care because you're going to say, well, we're at the Staples Center. We're Los Angeles. We are still the Lakers. You know, we've fallen on hard times recently, but hell, it's Los Angeles. Who doesn't want to be out here? Well, the Lakers are 11 and 25, but moving on to both the Cavs and the Nuggets have some kind of intertwined relationship, and that will come from an NBA trade. Earlier this week, there has been some uproar in that Cleveland Cavaliers organization. LeBron James has missed six games. That's the most games that he's missed in his NBA career. But everyone's questioning whether David Blatt is the right person to lead this team. And with the early midseason trade, that will tell us more reasons of possibly what is to come and could LeBron James leave after this year? And could David Blatt remain the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers? A trade this week that I was talking about since J.R. Smith to the Cleveland Cavaliers, someone that you're very familiar with in that Denver, <laughs> Denver market. And Timothy Mozgov comes up to show up that front line for the Cleveland Cavaliers that have been dismal inside the points as far as block shots and points in the plank. They rank lower in the NBA in that regard. So do you like the fact that Mozgov is now Cleveland Cavaliers and the fact that the Nuggets get two first-round picks from the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2015 draft to help Coach Brian Shaw and, uh, and the Denver Nuggets? You know, I, I do like it long term. It's sad to see Mozgov go. He, uh, he, uh, as a guy with the media, he's always, you know, really great. He's a great guy to talk to. Uh, so it is sad to see him go. But this is nice because this is a move that could potentially get the Nuggets out of that state of limbo that I had been talking about. And if it wasn't for the play of Nurkic, uh, Joseph Nurkic, who is the rookie center that everyone better start paying attention to, then I don't think the Nuggets pull the trigger on this uh, trade. The only downside now is they don't really have another true center. I mean, aside from, you know, J.J. Hickson, you know, and maybe Darrell Arthur, and then, you know, nobody really knows what the deal is with JaVale McGee. That's a mystery wrapped in an enigma. Uh, But those are really your only centers on this team right now. But looking forward... The Nuggets have the pieces in place. You know, Kenneth Fareed, he's a little all over the place right now. I think getting this big contract might have hit him a little harder than people anticipate. He only had two points last night on one of six shooting, uh, but he turned in 12 rebounds. So if you don't get it from him one place, you'll get it from him from another. But the most important aspect of this Nuggets team right now is Ty Lawson, who if it wasn't for the outrageous voting that uh, the All-Star game commences – then he would be an all-star. Because right now, Jeremy Lin is on the all-star roster and Ty Lawson is not. I mean, 23 points last night, five assists. He's averaging a double-double. So I don't know why you would put Jeremy Lin in over Ty Lawson, but I guess uh, that's another conversation for another day. But this is a big move for the Nuggets and not a great move for the Cavaliers. And we said it on the show, Nick, the Cavaliers had their big three. And there was such an immense drop-off after that. And we also talked about why LeBron James is struggling. Well, it's because he lost all of that weight and now he no longer is as effective as he was with the Heat because he's a completely different player now. He's more built like a Kevin Durant than he is a LeBron James. He's not going to be able to overpower people and he, when he tries to play the way that he used to, then he's more prone to injury and we're seeing that now. He's not a durable LeBron James 
like we have been used to seeing, like he was with the Cavs long ago and like he had been with the Miami Heat. But now they bring in a guy in J.R. Smith who's only going to shoot the ball every time that he touches. And trust me, being a Nuggets fan, I know exactly how J.R. Smith is. Yeah, every once in a while he can hit six threes in a row and go off for 25 points. But when you're going to get that one out of every 12 games, it is not worth the headache. So I have no idea what they were thinking bringing in J.R. Smith, bringing in Iman Shumpert, and bringing in... Timothy Mozgov. Mozgov is going to be solid for them. I will say that. But for what cost, Nick? I don't think it's worth it. And you know what? I wouldn't be surprised at all if LeBron James has a decision 2.0 and leaves Cleveland fans high and dry once again. Well, after LeBron James decided to go back home, the odds were in his favor that Cleveland Cavaliers would win an NBA title. Now, with everything happening at this point, according to the Bovado Sportsbook, the Cleveland Cavaliers are 6-1 to one odds to win the NBA title with Golden State, Chicago, and San Antonio rounding out that crew. Coming up after the break, we'll discuss Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, which guy makes a better NFL quarterback, and then we break down the NFL playoffs. What quarterback could be on upset alert? You're listening to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective here on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Nick Ferguson's secondary perspectives. And before we went to the break, we're talking about the NBA. Just like the Tribe Called Quest said, relax yourself. And Aaron Rodgers said early in the season, calm down, relax. They'll be hosting the Dallas Cowboys this week. And Mario, a lot of Twitter was ablaze this past weekend for so many different reasons. But one in particular, you go back to the Dallas Cowboys-Detroit Lions game. Uh, We can say that... Detroit blew the game because they had a huge lead or we'll call it we'll call it a huge lead for the sake of argument because we, we are talking about the Detroit Lions 
But, but for me as a player, when the zebras, as I would call them, would make mistakes, you could not say anything as a player or as a coach without the risk of a heavy fine. I'm no longer a player. I, n- I no longer can be fined. So I'm going to put it all on the line right now. So let's unleash the fury then, Nick. You know what? That was some of the worst officiating I've seen in a while. And that's even going back to the Hail Mary pass of the Green Bay Packers and the, the Seattle Seahawks. But, but, but those were with replacement referees. These are seasoned NFL referees. And if you do a great job in these playoff games, you have the right to put your name in a hat for the Super Bowl. So to me, there's a lot of things I, I, I don't understand about this game and, and what took place and uh, the penalty on Pettigrew. And, and then we can argue and say, well, Caldwell should have went for it on fourth and one, which I believe that he should because Jason Garrett went for it on fourth and six. And they threw the pass and Jason went and completed that pass. But to me, what's your take on the officiating in that particular game? Geez, how much time do you have? First off, let me just say this, Nick, and they made a big deal about this throughout the game. They don't keep the officiating crews together that work together the entire year. Now, I don't know what kind of BS rationalization they have for doing stuff like this, but to me, it doesn't make any sense. You have crews that are comfortable with one another, that get each other's tendencies, that they're always on the same page because they work together every single week. So for you to all of a sudden disband these groups that you have put together, probably strategically, and just kind of throw it to the fire and say, all right, well, we're just going to have this guy from this crew, that guy from that crew, this guy from this crew, and just throw them all together, it doesn't make any sense. It is not like it's an all-star game of officials, Nick. They took 70 out of 105, I believe it was. So they're getting the top 70%. So if you're in that bottom 35, you might want to consider a new profession, I'm thinking. So they, that, that was the first thing that kind of stuck out to me. Like, you could tell they weren't really on the same page. They seemed a little bit uh, not confused, but just in disarray at certain points of the game. W- with the call itself, Nick, I think once the call is made, you have to stick with it. If they had, if that play had transpired and it was a no call from the beginning and then they had just gone from there, I would have had absolutely no problem with that. But once you A, throw the flag and then B, announce the penalty and then pick up the flag and then don't explain why you picked up the flag, that's going to rub some people the wrong way. So I think it was the way that it went down. And then what was the worst possible thing that they could have done, Nick? To come out a couple days later and say, well, in addition to, you know, that all that whole thing, and we know people are mad about that, there was also this other play on fourth down with the Dallas Cowboys where it was kind of a hold on Indomitian Sioux and it allowed them to com- convert on fourth down. <laughs> are you kidding me? What good is it going to do? Like, the fans are supposed to take solace in the fact that not only was there this play that everybody talked about, but there was another additional play that they came out and acknowledged that they screwed up? That just isn't smart to me, Nick, and things need to change. People are tuning in, and they're going to start thinking that these games are rigged. 
And I know that, you know, that's a conspiracy theory and it's hard to say stuff like that. But I'm watching this game from a completely unbiased perspective. I know we clown on the Cowboys, but I just wanted to see a good game. I wasn't rooting for the Lions. I wasn't rooting for the Cowboys. But just watching it as a football purist, as a football fan, it was hard to watch. And you even ask President Barack Obama what he thought about it. Uh, See, the pass interference uh, that they called uh, on the Dallas Cowboys, I don't really understand uh, why they picked up the flag. Uh, Seems like these officials are a little bit worse uh, than our economy. That's all I got to say on that, Nick. Well, well, here here it is for for those who did not see it. Here's the call, uh, Troy Aikman, courtesy of, of, of Fox. Listen how this thing plays out. Well, you even hear, if, if you can hear that audio, you can hear, well, that hear, was the, great, you can hear <laughs> the great Troy Aikman say, well, he's never seen a call like this before. And how late was that call? You, you, I've seen some, some, some terrible calls, and this ranks up there. This is number two for as failed calls by the officials. The number one play was the call that was called in Ohio State University of Miami game, you remember years ago, when Miami was trying to win another national championship. That was an awful call. That ranks number one. This ranks number two. Now, I've seen wide receivers do this so many times, and they get the benefit of the doubt. When a defender has them covered, they are allowed to give a little late push-off, if you will, to create a little separation so they can haul in the pass. So Pettigrew, did he give him a little nudge? Yes, he did. But I've seen so many wide receivers get away with that in the NFL. But you can't face guard. You know, it, it says. Well, Nick, in let room, me ask you this: Who yes. is one receiver on that particular field who gets that call more than anybody? Des and can, can we, can we, yes, and can we allude to this? Des Bryant, right after that penalty, Nick runs out onto the field with his helmet off. Yes. Who? who now, hold on a second. How is he able to get away with that? Because you said earlier, you as a player, when you were in the league, you could not say anything to the officials. And that's true. You have to be very careful with what you say. So you're telling me that Des Bryant, after that penalty, runs out onto the field screaming with his helmet off, which is a personal foul, by the way, screaming at this official. I mean, he gets off eventually. But where do you draw the line? Why is it okay for Des Bryant to run out onto the field screaming about a call and then he's not hit with the repercussion? It's just there were so many things about that game, Nick, that rubbed me the wrong way. It's like if you're going to make calls, if you're going to call the penalties the way they're supposed to be called, whether we agree or disagree with them, then be consistent and make the calls. That's all I'm trying to say. And that adds to the conspiracy theory that most are talking about with this Dallas Cowboy team. And then, I mean, I love your impression of President Obama, who did come (laughs) out and say himself, 
when he was interviewed after watching that Detroit and Dallas game, that that was one of the worst calls that he's ever seen. And that's and he's the leader. A ba- he's a basketball guy. So we I mean, will that, but, but he's a sports guy, too. Yeah, he's a sports guy. I mean, listen, you don't have to be have a football. A little, well, not that he can run for re-election, but he might have lost uh, some support down there in Dallas. But wait a minute. You don't have to be an avid football fan to realize that everything about that play leading up to it and afterwards, I mean, it, it, it was just so wrong. I mean, you talk about Des Bryant running on the field and accosting the official with his helmet off. Usually that is grounds for a penalty or a flag. That yes. should alone should have moved the advance the ball maybe five to ten yards. No one's talking about that. But then, you know, like I said, I like the, love your impression of President Barack Obama, leader of the free world. But then you talk about New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Oh, let's he, not talk about that clown. He, he's become the leprechaun for Jerry World, and he will be there in Green Bay when they face the Green Bay Packers on Lambeau Field. He's become their good luck charm, if you will. <laughs> so so, so he, 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 I was wondering about this. You are a New Jersey governor. You have the Jets and you have the Giants. You want to run for president at some point. I wonder what the, the New York voters are really going to think about Chris Christie loving up Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys. You can't do that. It's, <laughs> it's, forbidden. it's forbidden. It's forbidden. <laughs> it's, it's written in the bylaws in New York State government. Thy shall not root for the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> but, but I'll he's to take break, your word break, on that one. He's breaking that rule. He's breaking that law. Every New York fan that I know, for some reason, they hate the Dallas Cowboys. Hey, they, people call them the America's team. Well, I didn't get a vote. I, I, didn't, I didn't vote for them. The only you know, people I, that voted for it are apparently the people in Texas. I, hey, listen, I, I guess so. So come election time, I, I wonder how this is going to favor or not favor Chris Christie. And then, then, well, will Chris Christie really make a difference in that game at Lambeau Field? Because when you look at it, Aaron Rodgers has been sensational at home. And I believe they, they're undefeated at home, but the Dallas Cowboys, even though we give them a lot of stuff on this program, we talk about the Tony Romo effect. Hopefully we don't have to see that in the game against Green Bay, but they've been a perfect road team uh, this season. And so much has been said about the quarterbacks. You got Flacco, you have Romo, you have... Uh, Andrew Luck, you're Peyton Manning, you have Tom Brady. But to me, it's not about the top quarterbacks. It's about the running game. If you can't run the ball in the month of December and January and play great defense, the idea of going to play for a Super Bowl is null and void. Right. So, so, so to me, let's not talk about the quarterbacks. Let's talk about the ground game. In the percentage, when you break it down and say, well, what quarterback means the most to his team and has done the most as far as putting his team in the playoff, the tops of that list is Andrew Luck. The bottom of that list are the two visiting teams, the Carolina Panthers and Cam Newton, and the person at the bottom with 61% is Tony Romo. So DeMarco... Wait, so Murray well, let me get this straight. People, are you saying people aren't giving, just as a you know, side note, people aren't giving uh, Cam Newton credit? for the Carolina Panthers being in the playoffs and winning that first-round game? Well, when you look at the quarterbacks that are in the games this weekend, he ranks second from the bottom as far as percentage, as far as having to do with a lot of team success. 
late in the season. I know you're going to say, well, you go back and you look at the Arizona Cardinal games and what he was able to do. But to me, it, statistically, it wasn't one of Cam Newton's best games. But it was, Luke, it was Luke Keekley and that turnover machine defense that allowed the Carolina Panthers to now move on to play the Seattle Seahawks. So that once again, that, that's a question. You have to be able to play defense on, in this part of the season. So let's preview our first game, uh, Dallas Cowboys and, and Green Bay. Like I was saying, Green Bay, difficult to win there. But I think the one thing that favors Dallas Cowboys is that calf injury suffered by Aaron Rodgers, who says that he is going to play. But if for some reason he cannot play, now we're looking at Matt Flynn to come in and save the day. And if that's the case, could Matt Flynn help get this Green Bay Packers to the next level? I mean, obviously Packers fans are hoping that it doesn't come down to Matt Flynn because, you know, it's Matt Flynn versus Aaron Rodgers. It's not really a discussion. But what helps Matt Flynn in that discussion, if God forbid, you know, if you're a Green Bay Packers fan, God (laughs) forbid that does happen, you do have Eddie Lacy. You have a solid offensive line uh, that can move the ball even with Matt Flynn. And I don't know what it is, Nick. Everywhere else that Matt Flynn goes – he cannot succeed. I mean, you remember the big fat contract he got from Seattle. You remember him getting beat out by rookie Russell Wilson before anybody really knew who he was. You remember him going to Oakland. You remember him getting beat out there as well. Then he comes back to Green Bay, the only place that'll have little old Matt Flynn. And he gets the job done. I don't know how, Nick. I don't know why, but he gets it done. Maybe it's because he can hand off to Eddie Lacy. Maybe it's because he's throwing the ball to Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb. I'm sure that helps, but I mean, if it's Matt Flynn versus the Dallas Cowboys, I gotta tip. I gotta tip it to the Cowboys. I'm sorry. I think Aaron Rodgers will be fine, though. I think as far as toughness is concerned, he's you know right there near the top of any list that you might ask for. And if he can walk, he will be playing. I guarantee you that, especially in front of Green Bay. I mean, you know how it is, Nick. You might not be 100%, but you get in front of your home crowd. You hear all that cheering and the applause, and it's the playoff atmosphere. Your adrenaline takes over a little bit, and suddenly, Cap doesn't hurt so bad. Well, we will wait to see what happens when they get chance to lace it up and go after one another Dallas at Green Bay coming up at the break we break down the rest of this weekend's NFL playoff matchups and tell you who could be a better quarterback Jameis Winston or Marcus Mariota you're listening to Nick Ferguson's secondary perspective here on Voice America Sports The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need a bitch's ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams, Kwame's got the experience. So he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. Get ready for an unpredictable, fun, and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickferkshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. MLB Hall of Fame. Everyone is trying to get into the Hall of Fame, whether it's NBA, NFL, but the sports writers always have the last say. You know, if, if the sports writers were Sith Lords, it would be the revenge of the sports writers. But far as the guys that got in this year, Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, John Smoltz, and Craig Bezier was fortunate to be voted in. But here, here's a list of the guys who did not get in. Mike Piazza, Jeff Bagwell, Tim Raines, Kurt Schillings, Roger Clemens, and Barry Bond. So, Mario, real quickly, from the guys who were not elected into this new MLB Hall of Fame class, do you see any guys that I just named on this list who should be in? And also, could we ever see Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds get in? I mean, really quickly, I think we'll eventually see Mike Piazza get in. Maybe Kurt Schilling. It's going to be a little bit of a stretch. But uh, of the list that you gave me, those two I think would be the most likely to make it in. And short answer to your question, no. Clemens and Bonds will will not make it in. That whole era was just tattered with uh, steroid use and... They, I mean, they, they did it to themselves, Nick. You know, I think Pete Rose gets in before them, to be perfectly honest. You know, and I just was going to ask you that. I mean, we, we had the, that kind of steroid era, and then you go back to Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. To me, even though both of those guys had cork bats and they both used performance-enhancing drugs, but to me, you have to give them their credit. They saved baseball. I mean, when you talk about coming out right after a strike, that home run derby between those two players actually saved baseball. So, well, but I guess it depends on who you ask. It either saved baseball or it tried to kill baseball because now that guys that they check for that kind of stuff and steroids aren't prolific. We don't see those kind of numbers, Nick. So people that were kind of growing up in that era, such as myself, where that kind of became commonplace for me as a baseball fan, seeing all those home runs. It's weird nowadays looking back where if a guy reaches 50 home runs, you know, questions start arising like, oh, well, how did he get to 50 home runs? When before, you know, 50 home runs would be a letdown for a Barry Bonds or a Sammy Sosa. So, I mean, I guess it depends. I'm I'm a baseball player. 
purist. That was always my sport growing up. I love baseball. I love everything about it. I think it's a chess game. And I think what steroids did to baseball nearly killed it. And I, I definitely see where you're coming from. I mean, it definitely got people excited about it and interested in baseball because of the long ball. And that's what people want to see. But I don't want to see, I don't want to watch a sport where somebody has an unfair advantage because what they're doing is illegal. Now, I'm just not that kind of sports fan. Well, once again, I know it opened a door for the discussion on performance enhancing drugs and uh, to look in the side of what MLB locker rooms or clubhouses were doing and how many people were entangled and intertwined in what was going on, whether it was using, uh, keeping quiet, or even selling a performance enhancing drug. But I still go back to the fact that those two guys, Sosa and McGuire, saved baseball with the home run derby because uh, most fans were getting sick and tired of players striking, the disagreements, and can't even come together uh, both on the management side and, and the player side. But I still believe at that particular point, those two guys actually uh, save baseball. Continuing to talk and discuss the NFL playoffs and gets you super loaded for this weekend's games. Here's a little bit of quarterback moments, little quarterbacks of the game. This group seems to be uh, a little hungrier for one of four reigning teams of the NFC. And- and we got a great opportunity for us. I guess if you're the first pick in the draft, you're always going to be compared to other first picks. And I guess when you play for a team, there's going to be comparisons with other quarterbacks that have played. He's had an outstanding start to his career. It's not a surprise at all to me. I never thought much about, you know, comparisons, how it affects me, and I'm sure he doesn't either. One one-on-one, did you take it? <laughs> Basketball? <laughs> nah, I don't know. It's not worth getting into. In terms of comparing Cam and I, you know, he's, I don't know, he's what, seven inches taller than me? <laughs> you know, he's a great quarterback, but I'm not playing Russell Wilson. You know, uh, you know I'm playing, uh, you know, a very talented defense. I'm holding play better. Anything less than that is unacceptable in my book. It's going to be a great game. It's going to be one of those games you want to watch for sure. The sounds of the game and quarterbacks give they a breakdown of what they expect to take place this weekend in the playoffs. Uh, Let's go to that Carolina-Seattle game. Two quarterbacks, very mobile. When you look at the measurables, they could be no more different. But two African-American quarterbacks, two guys that have made a name for themselves in this league. You know, I, I don't know if Cam Newton can actually overcome that defense of the Seattle Seahawks that are playing better, they're healthy, they get Bobby Wagner back. They have so many guys in that secondary that are Pro Bowl players or uh, perennial Pro Bowl players. And I think what happened to Cam Newton, especially after that unfortunate accident when his truck turned over the season, I think it gave him some perspective. He is or he has been playing well, especially in that Atlanta Falcons game. But I don't believe they have enough offensive power to win that game. And I don't think this game is not going to be a very high scoring game. I mean, we're talking maybe the in the 20 to 14 range, but I still think defense and running the ball wins this game, and Marshawn Lynch, Russell Wilson wins this game with that defense at home, the 12th man, the Seattle Seahawks move on. 
I'm going to agree with you, Nick, and I think the only way that this game is close is if the Seahawks overlook it. You know, they're they're playing a team that finished the season below 500. But I guess if there's one team in this playoffs that knows not to take a team like that for granted, it is the Seahawks. Because a few years ago, they were that team and they upset the defending uh, world champions and the Saints that year. But could we see history repeating itself? Are we going to see the last team that did well in the playoffs with a losing record, who is the defending now Super Bowl champion, go down to another team with a losing record? The only way is if, again, they overlook it. If the Seahawks just discredit it and think this isn't going to be that close of a game, we're going to come out, we're going to walk all over the Panthers, and that's what should happen. But like you said, Nick, ever since that accident, Cam Newton has approach the game with a complete different perspective. So in a strange, almost kind of sick way, that accident was one of the best things that ever happened to Cam Newton. And I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think because this Panthers defense is structured to go toe-to-toe with the Seahawks. Well, that's going to be a really interesting matchup. Once again, defense and running the ball is on full display in the NFL playoffs this weekend. Now shifting gears to the AFC the Baltimore Ravens travel back to Foxborough, a place that they're familiar with, a place that they have held Tom Brady and the New England Patriots in check. In recent years, the Baltimore Ravens has caused a lot of problems for Tom Brady. And we talked about it before, that offensive line of the New England Patriots, they're banged up, especially on that left side of the offensive line. It's going to be interesting to see the matchup between Terrell Suggs and Nate Solder, a guy who's great as far as run blocking, but as far as pass protection, he has struggled as of late, and he is dealing with the injury, and it's going to be cold in New England. But the personnel has changed somewhat. The storyline hasn't. Usually what happens, this is a game that Anquan Bolden normally dominates in the slot. Gronkowski normally isn't healthy, and Steve Smith Sr. is now part of of the New England Patriots. You bring in new offensive coordinator and Gary Kubiak, who loves to run a lot of those plays, the little stretch zone plays that he's made successful or made him successful with the Denver Broncos, and they like to utilize the tight end position. So I think if this game is going to come down to who can defense the tight end position, can you stop Owen Daniels on some of those tight end throwbacks, or, or can you stop Gronkowski, who is healthy Gronkowski at this point, and he hasn't been when the New England Patriots have faced the Baltimore Ravens. And I call him the, you know, his name is the Gronk. But he, he reminds me, if he was a superhero, he would be the Incredible Hulk because defenders, linebackers, off defensive linemen, they just bounce off this guy as he barrels into the end zone. So once again, I ask you, Baltimore Ravens or the New England Patriots after it's all said and done? Man, a lot of people want to allude to the uh, to the Ravens teams that have beaten the Patriots teams in the past. And the bottom line is these are two completely different teams for all intents and purposes. This Patriots defense is better than it had been. The Ravens defense isn't as good as it had been. We know that the Ravens struggled with pass defense all year long. However, their run defense was one of the tops in the NFL. But once the playoffs come around, Nick, you throw all of that stuff out the window. 
How many people thought that Roethlisberger is going to drop four or five, maybe six touchdown passes on the Ravens again, especially with Le'Veon Bell out? Well, that didn't happen. Why? Because this Ravens team has shown us, shown us in the past years that once they get into the playoffs, they are a completely different team than they were during the regular season. We as Bronco fans know, Nick, we saw it firsthand. We beat that team by double digits in Baltimore, and just a couple weeks later, they came into Denver and embarrassed us. So I will tell you, do not count out Harbaugh and this Ravens team. And if I have to make a pick, Nick, I'm going to stick with what my dude Terrell Davis said, and that it would be Ravens-Broncos in the AFC Championship game. Who am I to defy the great <laughs> Terrell Davis? Give me the Ravens. Flacco's a playoff quarterback, and you're going to see it on display. Trust me. Well, you know what? Here's the funny thing about Joe Flacco. I even go back to the game that no one wants to mention in the Broncos land. When he threw that kind of Hail Mary pass to Jacoby Jones. Don't even dashed, about And he, dash, he, well, he dashed into the end zone to bring the game into extended periods. When I, look at, when I look at Joe Flacco, <laughs> <laughs> as, as you try to act as though it never happened and erase it from your memory, but when I watch Joe Flacco drop back and throw the ball, it, 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 what I, what, the first thing that I get is a chicken wing in the prayer type of throw. And what I mean by that is that he's going to step back and he's going to throw the ball as far as he can because we all know he has a strong arm, and he's hoping maybe the DB makes a mistake or the official bails him out and advance the ball with the, with the P.I. So to me, when I look at it, when you look at the Patriots, that is, Brandon Marshall, I mean, I mean, excuse me, I'm sorry, Darrell Rivas, and then they have Brandon Brown on the opposite side. So that's going to help them as far as matching up. But then you look at Jonas Gray and LeGarrette Blunt, and I said it before, defense and running the ball wins championships. And I think Bill Belichick has been the best at doing this. He knew there was a possibility they would face a team like the Baltimore Ravens. So that's why he went out and got LeGarrette Blunt, who can pound the middle and soften up that interior so Tom Brady can do work. So I'm going to go with the New England Patriots to win this ball game. Now, of course, here's one near and dear to both you and myself. Indianapolis Colts at the Denver Broncos is only one way that I can sum this up, Mario. In the words of Darth Vader himself when he met Obi-Wan for the last and final time. When I met you, I was but the learner. But now I am the master. And that's what Andrew Luck is trying to convince his teammates in that locker room, in that coach locker room, that they can go in and they can beat the Denver Broncos. Yes, we lost to them early in the season. We were, able, we, not, we were not able to get pressure on them, but this is, like you said, this is the playoffs. You throw all the stats out the window. You now have to play for this particular moment. And right now, Chuck Pagano has his players believing that they can go in and upset Peyton Manning at home. You know what, Nick? They can rah-rah and believe and do all this other kind of crap that they want, but the bottom line is this Broncos team matches up too well with this Colts team, and it's just not going to be a good day. Now, if you were talking to me and Ahmad Bradshaw was healthy, then it would be a completely different discussion. But when Boom Heron and Trent Richardson are your two main backs and they're supposed to get it done on the ground to keep Peyton Manning off of the field – I don't trust it. I think the Broncos win, Nick, and they're going to win big. Defense steps up. Running game happens. Manning gets back on track. Everything comes together. 34-17 Broncos. Well, I think the Broncos are going to win this game at, at home because, to me, they're just too talented on both sides of the ball. But 
I don't think it's going to be as cut and dry as most people are saying. Don't forget that that Colts team's made a push late in that third and fourth quarter, and they could have won that game if it wasn't for a couple of mistakes and not getting a couple of uh, first downs. But before we get out of here, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, both Heisman winning quarterbacks. A lot of teams are vying for quarterbacks in the NFL. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the first pick in the draft. When you look at these two quarterbacks, which quarterback makes a proper or logical decision as far as being NFL ready because that's always tossed out. But before you answer that question, let me give you a couple of first-round Florida State quarterbacks who haven't had success in the NFL. E.J. Manuel as of late and Christian Ponder with the Minnesota Vikings. So now, better NFL quarterback, better bang for your buck, Mariota or James Winston? I think it's Mariota and it's not even close. You look at the off the field issues and there is no way that if I'm in charge of a team, I'm going to spend first round or even second round money on a kid like Jameis Winston. He's proved that he can't handle the fame. He can't handle being in that kind of situation. Mariota has proven that he absolutely can. People forget some of these kids struggle coming into the NFL because it's a completely different world. It gets too big for their britches, if you will. That will not be an issue with Mariota. And even though Winston on the field might be a more complete quarterback, I'm not having him. I can't have that kid on my team knowing what I know about him. He'll mature someday, maybe. And what you said about Florida State quarterbacks, you can't take that with a grain of salt because the apple don't fall far from the tree. I don't want Winston on my team. I do want Mariota on my team. That's all I got to say about that. Well, that's the final word for Mario Batanza. It is Thursday, throwback Thursday. Don't forget... You can follow us on Twitter at Mile High Mario. You can follow me at Nick Ferguson underscore 25. Playoffs is upon us. Monday night, national championship. Who do you have? Ohio State, Oregon. Whatever you do, have a lovely weekend. And go out and do something for someone else other than yourself. Thanks for allowing me to broadcast my show from here in the pavilion in Los Angeles at the Church of Scientology, my three amigos. My individuals back in Phoenix who continue to have the show running smoothly. Thank you. And that's Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. See you same time next week. Again for stopping by. Be sure to catch Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. in the West on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll share some more great stories next week.